our sermon series called Above the Storm. And uh, if, you, if you don't remember, that's about uh, learning to deal with the difficulties and trials that come to us through life and the, the world that we live in and to walk through these things by faith. I'm convinced that as we face adversity, as we overcome trials in the world, as we stand firm in our faith through these things, we become stronger. And uh, we talked last week about how FDR, uh, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, said something like, uh, smooth seas never make seasoned sailors, right? And so the Lord is seasoning you. He's maturing you as you go through the difficulties and trials in life. Um, on our way into that, I wanted to just take a moment and express uh, my love for one of the values of this church, which is uh, the youth and the kids in the church. And uh, that, that's expressed in a, a, a way that's different than other churches. So we send our kids uh, who, you know, birth through sixth grade back to kids ministry to have their own space to learn. And then when you hit seventh grade or above, we invite you to participate in our worship service. Uh, that's not culturally the norm right now, although it's growing because one of the things that we know and see is that kids catch faith from the parents in their lives and the significant other believers who model faith for them. And so when we detach adolescents from the worship service and kids from the worship service, they don't have a model to follow. They can't scaffold and level up in their faith. And so we value participation in our worship service from the kids. We value our kids being in church with us as we worship. Right? We could send them back earlier. It would be easier in some ways for the kids ministry people because then they, they wouldn't have to get riled up by the pastor and like sent out back to kids ministry. They'd have them the whole time. Uh, they could wear them down and then build them up, wear them down with games, you know, not like the Marine Corps with games and then build them up with the lesson. You know, uh, they, they would benefit from that time back there, but there's a powerful thing that happens in their hearts as they worship with you. And then quite frankly, I think often there's a powerful thing that happens in our hearts when we worship with them because we get to see them fall in love with the Lord and we get to see them grow in their faith. And it reminds us that we're part of that happening and that we have that childlike faith in our hearts. Some of you might remember we had uh, one of the, the younger girls, she would run through the church in her dresses and dance and spin and twirl. And, and a couple of us older men were so moved as to remark I would do that too if it would make sense, you know, because we're, we're, we feel that her love for Christ and, and we recognize that it's building something up in us. So I, I love that we're a church that wants cohesiveness across the generations and we express that through valuing that time together. Uh, towards that end, sometimes in my sermons, it might feel like I'm talking to middle schoolers. I am right? Like part of, part of having all of these age groups together is that the things that are said from the stage need to reach each of those age groups and each spiritual maturity level. And as we grow as a church, we'll value more and more uh, when these things happen. We'll remember like, oh, it's okay that that jo joke was at a middle school level because we have middle schoolers who need to hear a joke to stay interested occasionally, right? And so uh, there's this blending that happens. And uh, as we do that, we'll grow more and more uh, in the love of Christ. So thank you for being a part of that. Okay, uh, above the storm. So today we're, we're talking about uh, Ephesians 5, 6 through 21. If you've got your sermon notes, you'll note that I capped on some more verses at the end. So we're going to be Ephesians 5, 6 through 21. Uh, as you're turning there in your uh, physical Bibles or punching those buttons on your phone, uh, I'm going to uh, pray. And so please join me in prayer. Uh, Father, as we get into your word, we don't want to talk about you uh, without inviting you into our hearts into our minds to do the work that you're going to do. Lord, we know that uh, 
being in the word, growing in you is a spiritual process and that the, the Holy Spirit is in us and that you cause the growth. Father, as your word sows seeds of truth into our life, as you water and encourage us through the, the truth and the sweet love from you that's available in your word, uh, would you be growing us today? Father, often when we come to your word, we have preconceived ideas about life, about you, uh, about how we can work with you. We pray, Father, that you would give us the humble position of learners today to be thinking about you and what you desire for us as your children in a clean, fresh, and renewed way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The times are dark. The times are dark. The governor has imposed taxes and policies that seem aligned with his own interests more than anyone else's. They harm and they destroy households and seemingly the very fabric of society. He's building up his own culture at the cost of his people. Justice is scarce. Mercy is rarely found. Cultural edicts are enforced by the boot or by the word or by both. God's people lack unity. Some say that the nation is cursed because they don't seek God, because there's sin and rebellion in our midst, and that if we want to see the nation restored, then we need to see people's hearts and lives become righteous again. Some seek a middle ground where we create peace through compromise, holding to the big values of faith while working with the world to accomplish better for more. Some believers are confused and they've walked away from their faith and they're now participating with the world's agenda, either through cooperating with the forces at large and the government or living rebelliously in frustration and being on their own game plan. Now, some of you are convinced I just described our world. I did. I described our world 2,023 years ago because this is the world that Jesus was born into. This is the state of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. Herod is the governor. He is egomaniacal. He kills children for his own benefit. He kills his own children because he's afraid that they'll depose him. He kills his siblings because he's afraid that they will take his place and undermine him. He rules with an iron fist. He raises taxes at his own pleasures and builds himself palaces on the backs of the people that he rules. God's people are confused. The Pharisees think that what is really needed is for everyone to be completely pious and stop sinning and God will bless them. The Sadducees think that, that we do need to honor the Lord, but also there's no sense in angering the Romans because the last time they did, we did that, they almost destroyed us and wiped us off the earth. So let's not do that again. The days are dark, but they're also cold, and the love of many is growing cold. Some Jews want to rebel against Rome, throw them off, murder them, get them out by whatever means possible. Some are wandering around in dejected hopelessness, just wanting the Lord to do something 
but not sure how it happened. The days were dark. The hearts were cold. Evil seemed to be dominating the earth. It's important that we recognize that those are the days that God sent his chosen one into. It says in Galatians that when the time was perfect, Christ came to die for our sins. I'm stating these things in this dramatic way because the reality is, is that times will be dark and hearts will be cold until the return of the Messiah. I want to say that again. Times will be dark and hearts will be cold until the return of the Messiah. It was not accidental that before his departure, Jesus told his disciples a promise that I rarely claimed, heard, or heard claimed in prayer meetings. In this world, you will have many troubles. That is a promise from God. It's not a happy promise, but it's real. And I love that God loves us enough to level with us. In this world, you will have many troubles. And because we don't claim the first part of the promise, we rarely claim the second part of the promise. But do not let your heart be troubled because I have overcome the world. Now, much like the Jews of Jesus' day, believers in Jesus can become confused and think that Jesus is somehow going to fix our world right now and make everything good and right and perfect so that our IRA accounts always go up and up and up and never down and our bodies are healthier and healthier and healthier and all of our rules, rulers are nothing like Nero, crazy and talking to his horse and seemingly pulling policies out of one end of that horse. We always want everything to get better and better. But what we don't always remember is that God is sovereign and he's causing the course of the earth to go in the way that is best suited to his plans, which is ultimately for our good. When we recognize this perspective, we find peace and freedom and power in the present circumstances that we face because we realize that God is not going to change that out there He's working to change this in here. And he's working to do that in the life of every believer. And he wants to do that in the life of every human on the earth. The transformation that God is forming right now is a spiritual transformation among the people of the earth. Because we still live in this present age where God is working out his final purposes in which all sin will be removed. And we can long for that glorious day, right? but it's not a day that is yet present. We can long for that day, but nothing that we can do this side of heaven is going to cause it. Our mission is one of personal engagement, not one of national transformation. I wanna say that again. Our mission is one of personal engagement, not a mission of, tra of national transformation. Yes, nations can be transformed, you know, the nation of Rwanda suffered a massive genocide, a massive genocide in the mid-90s. Do you think that Christians in Rwanda thought that it was the end? 
Do you think they expected to hear the trumpet call at that point in time? Could you imagine seeing mobs walking around and murdering whole families in front of you? Can you imagine hiding in your house, hoping that no one finds you there so that you can live and raise your children? Can you imagine the destitution and the brokenness of the weeks following that as people realized what they had done with their own hands? Was there ever a time that was more broken in that that moment in their lives? Absolutely not. But Rwanda, in the face of the harm, started to hunger as a nation. They started to seek after some way that would be better. And some Christians in that nation said, I know a better way. The Lord has laid out principles in his word. We can follow them. And the hearts of the rulers were turned towards Christ in that moment in their humility. But God did that person by person. Rwanda is not a Christian nation. But through the hurt and the humility that came, through their brokenness, their sinfulness, God put purposes in that nation to raise people up again. It's not that the nation was taken by force of vote. It was not taken by Christian revolution. Instead, it suffered under the weight of its own sin until all of the people personally turned towards the Lord that would, and that changed the fabric of the nation. Sometimes as believers, we think that what's going to happen is that everything's going to get better right now and it might but usually this side of heaven everything gets really bad before it gets better because human hearts are often unwilling to bend until they break and then they need restoration and so god wants you to learn to be above the storm because he doesn't want your heart to bend and break and he wants you to be there when it does in other people's lives so that you can be part of spiritual restoration and renewal for believers who have aligned themselves with the world, and so that you can be a part of the mission of new birth in those who are finding Christ in the darkness of this present age. The times are dark and cold, but God wants to give you the power to overcome. And he does that primarily through the work of his Holy Spirit. You need the filling of the Spirit to overcome life's storms. You need the filling of the Spirit to overcome life's storms. Yes, the times are dark and cold, but you have something available to you that is greater than any dark time, any cold heart can ever overcome. So let's look at God's Word and see how true and how good this is together. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things, because of the deceit and the empty arguments, right? Therefore, do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but, in, but instead expose them. Expose them. That's exposing them in your own life. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible or made plain. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, 
which leads to reckless living, or your translation might say dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In the fear of Christ. So I want to go back to the setting of this text. The days are dark, or you could say evil. That's what the text says, the days are evil. Now, this happened after the resurrection of Christ, right? This happened after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the foundation of the church. This happened after the Ephesian church was formed and built up and is, is relatively strong. Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit through Paul is saying, hey, even though God is at work in the world, there is still evil around us. In fact, the days are evil. This concept of evil days is toilsome, is burdensome. It's not evil like, you know, wickedness that, you know, of Satan, although we do know that he's the prince of the power of the air and he rules the world systems. We talked about that last week. But it's saying literally the days are hard. The days are grueling. The days are going to wear on you. The days can be discouraging. You're going to have to endure through these days. They're challenging days. They will call for a lot from you. We need to be aware that that's still the case that we live right now. The Bible says that we live in what's called the last days. How many of you are familiar with this term, the last days? It's an important term to be aware of because it talks about what's going to be happening in the world around us that we're in these last days. It talks about famine and disease and war and rebellion and deceit and false messiahs and deceit in the church, even to the point that some of God's own people will give into those deceits and fall away. It's difficult times. It's not easy street. You're not at the golden corral of life where you just fill your plate up every day. You've got to be discerning. Do I want any of this dish? Should this be in my life at all? Do I want to be filled with this that's coming towards me? They're difficult and challenging days. Now we have a blessed hope in these difficult days, one that we need to hold on to. It's actually the anchor of our soul. Do you know what that blessed hope is, church family? It's the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that soon these last days will be ended and Christ will come back and he will call his own to him in a moment called the rapture or the Greek New Testament calls it the parousia, gathering his own to him and he will take the church away and we will enter into a time that the Bible calls the tribulation. Calls the tribulation. That's not what this sermon is about. It's about these last days that we're in right now. So even though they're dark and evil, there is still good that is available to happen in these last days. Therefore, it says the days are dark or evil. So redeem them. So redeem them. That's a very important concept, redeeming these dark and evil days. Bad things happen. Expect it and learn to rescue them from turning bad. Learn to rescue them from turning bad. Men, have you ever been elbow deep in your engine compartment and you can't see the stud that that nut needs to go on and you've cross-threaded it three and a half times and your fingers are getting tired and then all of a sudden that nut goes bling and you hear it go ting, tong, pong, tink. That is an evil moment, right? 
but you have to redeem it. You have to get it back. You can't leave a nut floating around in your engine compartment, pun intended. You actually have to rescue the nut. You have to get it back where it belongs. And so what do you do? You get the tools out that you have. You get your flashlight out. You're shining. Where did it go? Where did it go? You're praying. You're praying that you hear that last thud of it hitting the concrete or the gravel, right? So you just look down and pick it up easily. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. So then you get that long magnet thing and the long mirror thing, and you look like a blind guy eating wontons in the dark. You know, you got your two chopsticks, and you're trying to get this put back together. Sometimes redeeming the evil days is challenging, and your hands are tired, and you're working in the dark, but God is calling you to put them back together, to redeem them. Now, this is important for us to remember, brothers and sisters, because as we work, we can become weary. We can want to give up. It's challenging. I pray for our children's ministry workers. It is challenging to cross the generational gap that exists between your generation and the next generations, or even harder, two or three generations away from you. You know, children are rewarded for wiggling in class now, for speaking up in class now. When I was a kid, that was met with harsh repercussions. You did not wiggle and you did not speak until recess. And then when the whistle blew, you ran back to class and then you didn't wiggle some more until you got on the bus, right? And then you could have limited wiggling. And then when you got home, you could get all the wiggles out again. But if you're not used to kids that wiggle and talk all the time, you're going to be frustrated when you're teaching those kids ministry kids. Redeem the days. Enjoy the wiggling. Get in the seat next to them. Wiggle a little too. It'll be good for you. And it'll be good for them. And soon you'll find that they're listening and wiggling. And talking about Jesus and wiggling. Because they're not going to stop wiggling. Because wiggling is fun. And no one else is telling them not to wiggle. So you just have to deal with a little wiggle. It's going to be there. It's challenging for us to, to speak Jesus and speak love over people who feel like they're from such opposite perspectives as us, who don't value the things that we value, who don't have a history with the Lord. The, the world around us doesn't know biblical truth anymore. They're aware of David and Goliath, and they know that David was a, a boy and that Goliath was a giant, but they, they don't know about the resurrection of Christ. They don't have a common culture with you. So it feels like the world is so dark and cold. But if they knew those stories, would there be any more spiritual revelation in their heart if they don't know Christ? Are they not still lost and without hope? Are they not without the Holy Spirit? Just because they speak the same language as you doesn't mean that they're any closer to Christ. And so we have to learn that just because it feels like the days are darker, they're not. It's the same people. They just have less in common with you. And so you get a new task. You're a brand new missionary. You're teaching a people who doesn't know anything about God, about God. And this is good news because you have a clean slate. Do you know there's pastors that leave the Bible Belt and they go to places like New York and Massachusetts and Washington and Oregon and they come here and they go, at least these people know they're lost. Because they get tired of the difficulty of trying to explain to people that just because you know Bible stories doesn't mean that you know the Lord. Does it, just because you show up to church on Easter doesn't mean that the power of the resurrection has overtaken your life. So they come here and they're like, finally, pagans who know they're pagans, right? And they like talk that way, like they don't worship the living God, and I get to tell them about that. And so they rejoice in the dark days that we live in every day. 
We need to learn from their hearts. We need to learn to redeem the difficult days by bringing them back into the truth of Christ in our hearts. We have to remember that Jesus was born into dark days and it was the perfect time. We have to remember that Esther was born in a time when all of God's people were going to be killed because of the wickedness of one man. And the Bible says, for for such a time as this, Esther, you were born. And that same truth is spoken over you. Yes, you live in difficult days. Yes, they're dark and evil, but they've always been dark and evil. They've always been dark and evil. And people's hearts have been cold but you have something more powerful than the evil. You have something that's hotter than the cold. You have the spirit of the living God in you to overcome the difficulty that you face. And so the text says, redeem the dark days by being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. By being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. Now, different languages have different ways of expressing, right? And nouns and verbs, all these things. So in Greek, there's this really fun thing called a, a participle. And, and a participle is like a, a, a noun and a verb and an adjective and an adverb. And depending upon how it's formed, it tells you the thrust of the concept. And so lots of people call it a verbal noun. It sounds really weird, uh, but we have similar concepts. When you say someone is a basketball player, it means that it's a human who likes playing basketball, right? You know some things about them. And so when we say you're a basketball player, there's some verbs involved in the description of that person that you know that they're doing on a continual basis. If you say that person was a basketball player, you're saying they used to do that, but they don't do that now, right? So those verbs were true in the past, but they're not anymore. There's also things that happen to us in our life that change us forever, right? That change us forever. So uh, people who were the president of the United States before, they're still called the president, right? Might be former president or sometimes they're just called the president, but they're not the acting president. And so they were voted into office at some point in time and then had a permanent change in their life and they're no longer viewed the same way. The Bible uses these participles to describe believers and the conditions of the world and the work of the Lord in similar ways. And there is a participle that is very difficult to translate into the English. And so unless if you have a highly specialized translation like the Phillips translation or some rarer ones, you're not going to see this participle played out. But it's this participle of keep on being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. Keep on continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there's two things to note. It is continual. It is constant. God always desires to fill you with His Spirit. It also implies that you've had it before and you're going to keep receiving it over time. It's something that's going to continue to be in your life. We're going to talk about what that looks like in just a minute. But then also there's this concept of being filled. Concept of being filled. Now we have concepts of filling, uh, but they're a little bit lacking in some ways compared to what this Greek concept was. So I have some things that are going to be word pictures that help us understand. So um, right now, in this balloon, I'll, I'll make it really clear. There's air in there, right? There's air in this balloon right now. Is this balloon full of air? You're all right. Yes and no. It is full of air. It has air in it right now. I could dump it out, 
but it's still full of air. It's holding all of the air that it can hold right now. If there was not air in there, it would be all shriveled up and sucked together like a raisin in the bottom of the raisin bran box, right? You don't even want it. You're just going to throw it away. It's worthless. Now, when you become a believer, we'll talk about this in just a minute, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's how you're alive in Christ. But you can have more, apparently. I think it can have some more. Oh, is it full of air now? Yeah, it really is. Some of you are panicking right now. Some of you are panicking right now. Now, the Greeks, when they saw great sailing ships on the water and they saw those sails billowing with air, they would say, the sails are full. The problem with the balloon analogy is that it's static. Or not. Because it drives the balloon around. It's not just air that's filling. It's potential and power within. It's potential and power within. It's important that we pay attention to how God speaks about things and the way that he references things. And in the book of Acts, Paul tells his disciples, the apostles, to wait because the Holy Spirit will come upon them and clothe them with power and wrap them with spiritual power that they did not have before. Now, when you become a believer in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. That means you have been given spiritual power and spiritual authority that you did not have previously in your life. The Holy Spirit is going to be able to do things in you and through you and with you. He gives you gifts to use. He's going to be working in your character to make you more and more like Jesus over time. And it all gets better and better the more that you get filled. And you seek the Lord and his word, and you pray, and you listen to a sermon. <laughs> Let's just be real. And you worship, and then you get full. But then you go around, and you've got to use some of that spiritual power. So you, and then what do you have to do? Fill it up again. It's like you have a spiritual battery inside. As you exercise the battery, it's going to be drained and it's going to need to be recharged. And, and your cord plugs in at certain times in certain ways, but you, you can't stay by the outlet forever because God wants you to be portable and on the go. And so he's going to fill you up so that he can release you to do powerful things or fall flat on your face. You never know. You never know. But he wants to fill you so that you can be redeemed in the days. Now, there's another way that they use this term. There's another way that they use this term. And it was like being transformed or being sort of filled in the way that Alka-Seltzer fills water with bubbles. Anybody remember Alka-Seltzer? You know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. And so as you plop the Alka-Seltzer in, I didn't want to go to Jackson. By Alka-Seltzer, uh, it changes the nature of the substance that it's coming into. And much like this powdered lemonade into this water here, it changes the nature of the water. And you can kind of see the difference, right? It was one thing, and, and now it's a new thing. And, and in this case, it's really delightful. 
You're so jealous right now. <laughs> it's so delicious and good because it's been changed and transformed. The Bible says that you have the sweetness of Christ in you now. He says that your life is a pleasing aroma to the Lord because of the Holy Spirit in you. It says that because the Holy Spirit's in you, you can bear these amazing spiritual fruits that other people can feast upon. And so instead of bitterness, your life is filled with love and forgiveness. Instead of panic and anxiety, you can bear peace that you can lend to other people. Instead of being dour and sour, you can have goodness inside of you to lend to other people. And if you're rich in the Spirit, you have these stories houses of this that you can lend and you have testimonies of previous spiritual fruit salad that has transformed whole groups of people and you can invite others into that the saved this can happen in your life too brother the spirit can bear this in you as well sister there can be self-control over your rage and over your fear your backbiting tongue can be tamed by the goodness and love of the holy spirit because he's going to teach you to be an encourager and a prayer warrior, and a servant, instead of being a discourager, and a warrior for your own interests, and someone who asks other people to do more for them than they're willing to do for others. See, the Holy Spirit involves itself in our lives in a transformative way, so that what you were before, you are no longer. It's the way you are spiritually reborn. And then there's a, another word for the Holy Spirit. And it has to do with feelings. You know, one of the things about babies is that they are their feelings. They have no perceptual difference between the emotion that they have in the moment and what is being expressed by their bodies. And we all love it when babies feel this way, don't we? Just happy, loving, just like, oh, come here, you sweet baby, give me kisses. And when they do, we're like, oh, it's the best, right? We cherish those baby moments. But then sometimes we're holding the baby and it's like this. And it's so upset. It's so upset. And if you're not mom, what are you doing? Is this your baby? Can you fix this baby, please? It's broken. I can't find the off button for the baby being upset. There's this powerful emotion coming out and I don't know how to stop it. And you hand the baby to mom and then what happens? It's no wonder why moms don't like handing their babies to other people. They always get returned like this, right? <laughs> like, I gave it to you like this. What did you do, right? You broke him. All right, I'll fix him again. So it's this concept of being filled with emotion. And we all know what it's like to be filled with powerful emotions. But we also know what it's like to be filled with the powerful, compelling, passionate love of the Holy Spirit that love that is poured into our hearts. It also means that each of these things is a picture of how Christians can miss the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we watch the news and then what do we do? We gotta vote, guys. <coughs> the world's dark, cast your ballots. <coughs> Let's take the world back by vote. <coughs> Hurry up, everybody, you better vote Republican. Get on the bandwagon, Trump back in there. And we keep blowing. And we keep blowing. And we keep blowing. And we keep blowing. And we're tooting our own horns. And we're going to the conventions. And we can't wait for the world to change. And we want it to get better so bad. 
and we can blow until we're the color of this balloon. And it's not working out because it's a big balloon and it's warm on the stage. Come on. <laughs> and then finally we blow it. And finally we blow it because we're being filled up with the wrong thing. We're convinced that politics or products or technology or corporations or organizations or some other thing than the power of the Holy Spirit working in the people around us is going to fix the world. It is not. It's like rubbing a banana on your radiator. You still have to fix it later. You guys know about that, right? In South America, when your radiator springs a hole, you go get a really green banana or a plantain, and while the radiator's hot, you rub it on the outside, and it's like a Band-Aid, right? And you can keep going down the road, but eventually that banana's gonna blow off, and so what do you have to do then? You gotta find a new banana. Stop giving people bananas. They don't need another banana. They need a new radiator. They need to be filled with something new. And when we walk around as God's people and sell bananas, it's bubkiss. It's worthless. It's like the Zimbabwean currency in 2004, right? They're just crossing off the numbers and writing more zeros at the end because the paper it's printed on is worth more than what it says it's worth. Brothers and sisters, we are a people of the Holy Spirit. You have been given the treasure of heaven in your life. And what's amazing is that you can offer it to other people and you can share it with them and you can example it in your life if you just let the Spirit fill you, if you keep on seeking Him, which means that we have to say no to the deceit of darkness. We have to say no to the ways of working that the world has. We have to say no to endless self-promotion. We have to say no to seeking personal gain constantly. We have to say no to grumbling and fighting and arguing. We have to say no to negative press about other people and other organizations because we only get one yes. We only get one yes at a time. So let your yes be for Jesus. So let your yes be for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. In Romans 8, 9 through 10, it tells us that all who have put their faith in Christ have the Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bible, please flip there with me so we can check it out loud because honestly, you need to not take my word for everything. Not because I'm gonna lie to you, but because you need to be in the habit, in the habit of only seeking what is true in God's word. Romans 8, 9 through 10 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So in other words, the moment that you belong to Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, that means you don't belong to Jesus yet. Now, some of you have put your faith in Jesus and you don't feel like you have the Holy Spirit because you've quenched the Spirit or you, you've stopped listening or you were never taught how to listen or it's really scary when you listen or, or whatever. It doesn't mean you don't have the Spirit. It just means that you're unaware you're unaware of the Spirit. You're like the gas gauge in my Suburban. Sometimes you show that you're full and sometimes you show that you're empty, but there's always gas in there, right? And so you have the Holy Spirit automatically. Next, uh, as you're filled with the Spirit, the Bible says that that is the seal of God on your life. Uh, flip to Ephesians 1.13 if you can, or poke your buttons to get there. Ephesians 1.13. It says, in Christ you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel or the good news of your salvation. 
when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory, to the praise of Christ's glory. Isn't that awesome? When you put your faith in Christ, the king of heaven and earth puts his royal seal on you. Any Toy Story fans out there? I love the movie Toy Story. One of my favorite things is on the bottom of Woody's boot is written a word, Andy. It's an indelible ink. Every time I see that, I just wish I could see Jesus written on my foot. I know it's there, and I'm too much of a wimp to get it tattooed there because I understand the bottom of your foot is not where you really want to get a tattoo. It's owie, right? Only those hardcore people do that. So we know that Christ's name is written on us. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You got to think of Caesar. He writes a note, and then he spills the wax on the note, and he presses it with his ring, and no one can break it. No one can break that seal except for the person who has been authorized by Caesar to break it. Only the authorized one can break that seal. You know what's amazing? You don't have the authority to break that seal. I don't have the authority to break that seal. Demons don't have the authority to break that seal. Your sin doesn't have the authority to break that seal. The socioeconomic status of your household doesn't have the power to break that seal. The person in office, in any office, in any government, doesn't have the power to break that seal. No prison cell has the power to break that seal. Nothing can break God's seal on your life. He has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He has placed his down payment in your life, and he intends to come get you. You are on layaway. You are on layaway. And he will come, and he will bring you back to his house, and he will delight in you, just like he does right now. Isn't that an awesome thing, brothers and sisters? The Holy Spirit is a seal in your life. He's a seal in your life. And he holds on to you, and he will never let go of you. Next, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is like a river flowing through you or overflowing from you. Look at John 7. John 7, 37 through 39. On the last and most important day of the festival... Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Remember when Jesus told the disciples, It is good that I excuse me, that I go away from you. I think there would have been a collective gasp in the room. What do you mean? We have the Messiah. What could be better than the Messiah walking around with us? And he says, because when I go, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will guide you into all truth and he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and the coming judgment. And then right before he left, he said, go to Jerusalem and wait there because the Holy Spirit is going to come on you with power. We live in those days. We live in the days where the Holy Spirit is working on the earth in the life of believers in power. And Jesus says that that work can be like a river flowing through you, overflowing from within you. Wow. Have you ever visited the, the head of a great river, the source where it comes out of the ground? It's a really impressive thing to be near that. The river is moving. It's flowing. Sometimes it starts little, and grows. Sometimes it just seems to spring up out of the earth, and it's like, where did this come from? It came from deep within. This can be from you. This can be in your life. 
It can be incredible and powerful to have the Holy Spirit flowing from within you. Do you know what rivers are? They're living water. They're water that moves. It's water that's alive. Now, we have living water every time we turn on the faucet. It's cheap, it's easy, it's free. Just turn it on, you can put your glass down there, and you can drink it. It might taste a little funny sometimes because of the chemicals, but it's still good for you. But in the first century, to find living water was to find gold. It was to find life because stagnant ponds would come up all over the place. And maybe they were okay, and maybe they weren't okay, and you would find out later. But Jesus is saying, you're not going to be a stagnant pond. There's going to be good placed within you that is good to share with everybody. And that good comes from the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in Ephesians 5.18, it says, the Spirit is like a full force or presence within you. Those three word pictures that we just talked about, the balloon, the beverage, and the baby, all display different aspects or different ways you can understand that the Holy Spirit fills your life. And God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit in these ways. He wants you to be, keep on being filled continually with the Holy Spirit so that you can know his power in your life, so that you can be productive spiritually, so that you can overcome the difficult days. And so when you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God and is in you and ministers to you and through you after indwelling you. So the Spirit of God, or the Spirit is God and ministers to you. There we go. The Spirit is God and ministers to you and through you after indwelling you. It's important to understand that. The Holy Spirit's ministry is first, as in it starts in you. And then it starts to go elsewhere from you. One of the ways that I talk about this with young leaders is I share, you are not going to be able to lead something through something else that you have not been through yourself. God will lead you to something so that you can lead other people to that thing. The Holy Spirit's going to work transformation in you, and then you can testify to the Holy Spirit transforming your life to others. I've done this with you a lot. I've said the Holy Spirit has transformed my marriage. I've said the Holy Spirit has transformed my passions. I've shared these things in various messages because you need to know that the Holy Spirit can transform you. The Holy Spirit can transform your relationships. The Holy Spirit can transform your attitude as an employee or as a wife or a husband or an owner or a son or a daughter or a father or a mother. He works in you to transform you. And then he allows you to be in situations where the same thing that he's done in you, you can offer to other people. And you can pray for that to happen in your life. And, or in their lives. And what's amazing is you are a testimony that this is a yes from God. Because sometimes people don't believe that the Holy Spirit can do these things. And you're living proof. You're living proof that the Holy Spirit does change. The power of the Spirit transforms evil days into every opportunity for good. The power of the Holy Spirit transforms evil days into every opportunity for good. So some translations say redeeming the day. It means buy back. And some translations translate that every opportunity. The Holy Spirit, this deposit in you, has made you spiritually rich. You can buy back any moment that you want to buy back from waste. You can buy back any situation in your life that you want to buy back from waste. That's a big deal because the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, I can't tell you specifically what's going to happen to make that happen right now, but I know that you can. And I know that if you seek the Lord's will, if you're in his word, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, he's going to give you wisdom and guidance to buy it back, to make it not evil, but redeem it, to bring it back from the place of darkness. The world was difficult and evil when the disciples were ministering on the face of the earth. The world was difficult and evil. 
There's lots of stories. They're beautiful in Acts about what the Holy Spirit does. The disciples receive the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and then everybody is like, you guys are drunk. Here you are. You were at a holy festival, and you are drunk with wine. And then Peter says, we are not drunk with wine. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives a powerful message to God's people. And he says, you need to repent. You killed the Son of God. You need to repent. You need to say, God, we were prideful and wrong and we're sorry and we killed your Son. But we now understand that he came for our redemption. And so instead of warring against you, we're working with you and we're putting our faith in the one that we murdered. And his resurrection is our resurrection and his life is our life. We believe you now, Lord, and we're sorry for fighting against you. That was that message of repentance. Now, these were the people that just weeks before had been fomented into a rage and crucified Jesus. Do you think that Peter's flesh was really excited in that moment about giving that message? I guarantee that half of them was like, stop talking, mouth. Stop talking. They killed Jesus. What are they going to do to you, right? But you know what happens? Thousands of people repent that day. They turn to the Lord. It was an evil and dark day, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, it became a powerful opportunity for Christ. This happens over and over again in Acts. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. They're being persecuted because of their faith. They leave after being sternly warned to stop, to stop preaching the name of Jesus. They go back to the rest of the disciples, and they pray. And the Lord says, keep preaching. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and ministered all the more. They went out and ministered all the more. It doesn't stop there. Paul is on a ship. He is bound for Rome. The ship gets wrecked because of a storm, because of the reckless course that the shipmaster was taking. They wash up on a shore. Paul and his companion are there and Paul is bitten by a snake that is poisonous, that kills you very quickly. Paul doesn't die. The Holy Spirit heals him. The people there decide that Paul is Jupiter, the god of all gods, and that Luke, his companion, is another god. Paul rends his garments. He goes into a position of mourning, and they worry that Jupiter is mad at them and that they need to appease him. But he says, no, I am not. I am a servant of God Most High. And he preaches the gospel to that island because of the difficult and dark day that he was in. It's a difficult day when a poisonous snake bites you, especially one that kills you, right? That's a hard day. But Paul redeemed the day by seeing that the day was a day that, was, that God meant for good. And that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God can make it good. Now, how does this translate into your life? Well, you're going to face some difficult days. I don't have to tell you that. You already know that. In fact, if you're a wise person, you probably already know the difficult days that you're about to face. You know that your marriage is stretched and strained and stressed. You know that every conversation turns into a gravelly hot argument real fast. That seems dark. I guarantee you that if you invite the Holy Spirit into your marriage, and if even better, if your spouse is willing to do that too, God can transform your marriage. He did it in my marriage. He does it in hundreds of marriages every day. Some of you know that you need to buy something this month that you can't afford. And so you look at your bank account, and it's dark, and it's difficult. 
Now, I'm not telling you that God's going to give you a check for whatever it is that you can't afford, but I am telling you this, that you can invite the Holy Spirit into your life to guide you to have financial wisdom, to provide for you like the Lord says that he will, and that you could say, I will wait on you, and I will not worry, and I will praise, and I will wait, and God will work it out for you, and I can tell you this because he's done it for me over and over again, and he's also invited me to do it for other people, right? Because people have met my needs, and then sometimes I see someone else with a need, and I'm like, hey, I can help you out. This is called brotherly love. If you have a brother or sister in need of a thing in their life, you can do that. And the Holy Spirit does that. And I've seen him do it in this church over and over again. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, right? You can see that the nation that you live in is in turmoil and trouble. And instead of putting your hands on the steering wheel, you can invite Jesus to work in the nation for his good and glory and ask him to show you people who are ready to receive Christ because that's what changes the nation. People who have received Christ, who are working with Christ and walking with Christ and worshiping Christ change a nation. It's not how we vote, it's how we live that makes the nation we're in great. It's how it lifts us out of poverty. It's how we live. It's the people on the ground, not the people in the office, right? And so we can wait on the Lord to teach us to find the opportunities. The Ephesian church lived in a place of darkness and difficulty. It makes America look great already, right? Just put it that way. It was a very difficult, very pagan place. But Paul says to them in the midst of this, he says, make the most of every opportunity. And then he gives them some basic instructions. He gives them some basic instructions. And I have to find my place in the text here. But he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. When do you sing and make music with your heart? It's Sunday morning, amen. And when you're happy and when you're joyful, right? You find yourself singing that tune. There's probably a song that when your sweetheart comes into the room, you think of a little bit. You, you just got that thing in your heart. This is our song, and it's coming on the radio, and I love it, right? And, and there's songs that are you and Jesus songs. And, and when you're seeing Jesus at work, you're praising Jesus, and you're walking around, and you're rejoicing in him. I remember a bunch of years ago, we didn't have this big baptistry behind me, and, and we did baptisms over at Dunes Camp, and we'd tell everybody in the church, hey, we're going to baptize somebody. This person came to faith in Christ. Let's all go over there and celebrate them. And like three and a half people would show up, and it was messy, because half people are never very clean when they go into the pool. And so we would go over to the pool, and we'd baptize this person, and it would be like just, you know, a hostess cupcake with a candle in it at someone's spiritual birthday. And I'm just thinking like man, this is just a beautiful moment and like 90% of our church family is missing. So then, you know, I talked to the church about it and the Lord led us to put this thing in and it was awesome. And the first Sunday we did it, we had like three baptisms planned and then like six more people said like, I, I haven't been baptized and, and I want to obey Jesus' call to be baptized today. And so we had nine baptisms that day, which is it's just nine baptisms, right? But it was, it was just awesome because God moved in our midst and, and I'm after church, I'm cleaning up and I'm picking up wet towels and I'm, I'm putting everything back together and, I, and I'm just walking around I'm just singing. I'm just singing. And one of the guys in the church goes, you are really happy today, pastor. And I was like, you bet I am. He's like, you're just singing. Every, I'm just watching. You're just singing. You got a smile on your face like I've never seen before. And it was because I was filled with joy in the Lord and what the Lord was doing. And so I was singing and rejoicing. The Bible calls us to do that. Because you're going to be having a spiritually good day, Eric, uh, when, when, when Scott is having a spiritually bad day. And, and you're going to walk around and you're going to be singing some song that Scott loves. And he's going to hear your beautiful baritone voice. And he's going to remember, 
Jesus loves me so much. Why am I so worried about my kids right now? I don't have to worry or freak out because he's got the whole world in his hands. What am I so worried? And then he's going to join you in his beautiful baritone voice. And then you guys are going to sing a duet for Jesus, right? Because you walked around praising Jesus. Your praise is going to be contagious in Scott's life. And if we all do that, we all do that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have this contagious joy that is happening. Or, or we have a different opportunity. And I've been in these meetings before where everybody's waiting for God to do something spiritually and somebody comes in and they are upset. And then they get to the floor and they start grumbling, talking about how bad everything is, how wrecked the world is, how messed up we all are. What are we going to do? I got to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Jesus some more because I got one yes. So I got to say no to grumbling. And right now, I got to tell you about a, a song that I heard the other day, brother. I got to tell you about a psalm that I read. I got to tell you about a chorus, a chorus that I learned in youth group that's going to soothe your soul, right? Because theology, who God is, is learned through these songs. And so as we redeem the days, we find more and more reasons to rejoice. And everywhere we go, we're reminded of testimony of God's work. Now, honestly, this can feel a little Pollyanna. I'm just throwing it out there because it's so far from what we experience on a regular basis, because we struggle, because we get in ruts spiritually, because it's difficult. Then we got to go back to the beginning. Lord, fill me with your spirit again. I'm filled with disgust right now. I'm filled with fear right now. I'm filled with doubt right now. And you, you invite the Holy Spirit to replace the thing that's filling you, to replace the thing that's changing your lemonade into something else that's making you in your childlike faith cry instead of rejoicing, right? You invite the Holy Spirit into those places and he refills you and he transforms you. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome life's storms. And the answer to that is keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit to overcome life's storms. I want to go back to the beginning of the sermon. A lot of you, I can see it on your faces. I can't believe are we allowed to talk about our world like that in church? And some of you were like, finally he is telling us about how bad the government is and how all those wicked people are wrecking the world, right? Finally he's going to tell us those religious right-wingers to settle down and compromise to make the world better. No. No, it doesn't work that way. There's only one yes that wins. And it's going to keep on winning individual hearts right now. And one day we're going to all celebrate the victory at the marriage feast of the Lamb when God gathers all of the people who have said yes to Jesus together. So just learn to say the yes now because it's so much better than any other option you have. And it's going to take you through the storm because you won't be relying on your own power or your own wisdom or your own will, but instead the will and the power and the wisdom of the Lord. So keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, in, in just a moment, we're going to sing a final song together, and I'm going to rejoice in that moment with you. But during that time, it's time for you to seek the Lord, to ask him to be filling your life again, to be making the song the prayer of your heart. And then after that, even though some of us are going to be stacking chairs, there's going to be three or four people at the front who can pray with you. And maybe there's something that you brought into your church or into, the, in, into here in your life today that you would like to have lifted up to the Lord, an issue that you're facing, a, a problem that you're dealing with, or maybe... Maybe you just want to respond and you just want to approach God in the quiet and just say, Lord, would you fill me today? 
I've been dealing with fear. I've been, I've been worn out. I've been discouraged. I haven't been seeking after you, and I, and I want to start seeking after you again today. Do that business with God today. Invite the Holy Spirit in, and he can transform you, and he can turn your sorrow to joy, and he can fill you with power that you've never even dreamed of to overcome the situations that you're facing in your life. Let's pray, and let's worship together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to share about the, the power of your Spirit working in our hearts. I thank you, Father, that to all those who've believed, you have, you have dispensed your Holy Spirit, and you promised that you'll continue to dispense. And you've given us these beautiful word pictures to, to point out the Spirit filling us like wind in a sail, like air in a balloon, like, like lemonade being made, just the ordinary becoming extraordinary, like pain being transformed, and, and emotions that overcame being overcome by the goodness and love of your spirit. And Father, there's often times that we find ourselves in life lacking what we need. And so we just come to you right now and we pray that you would keep on filling us with your spirit. We submit our hearts to you and our lives to you. Father, we don't want any other source of power than you. We don't want any other source of transformation than you. We don't want any other source of healing than you. So we pray that you would be working in our hearts, that you would help us to remember to always hunger and thirst for your purposes, not our own. Father, the passage warns against deceit. Father, it's, it's so alluring to enter into worldly ways to deal with the world's problems. But Father, we know that the ultimate problem in the world is not whatever they think they're facing. It's the lack of Christ on the throne of hearts. And so we pray, God, that you would help us to remember that truth always that we would never buy lies that pull us away from the reality of what you're doing in this world. Lord, for such a time as this, we were born, and you have high and holy and awesome work that you want to do in us and through us. We are your available servants. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.